every conceivable kind of input about, oh, it really wasn't Noah's flood, it wasn't global, it was a regional flood, it wasn't really a miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, she got pregnant, she got raped by a Roman soldier. The endless myths and dismissal of the world has nothing to do with the fact that the God we serve is a God of miracles. And you just got to be okay with that. It's a supernatural God we serve. He expects us daily to get in touch with that supernatural. Otherwise, we just walk in the natural, which is what the world does. And if you haven't been to Walmart lately, it's just a touch insane. The hustle and the bustle in the cars and you go, that's the spirit of Christmas? I think it's the spirit of this world. I think what we find in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, especially, is the supernatural gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is a, a heavenly mindset, not an earthly mindset, which should pervade every single Christian there is. A thousand years before Jesus was born, David's choir leader, Asaph, wrote in Psalm 77 in verse 14, you are the God who performs miracles. So I don't feel the necessity of trying to explain in naturalistic terms or even scientific terms what God has done from Genesis 1-1 through the end of the book. God does miracles. I believe it. He parted the Red Sea. I believe it. He spoke creation into being. I believe it. The virgin birth. I believe it. What we've got here in Luke's account is a physician that's just as blown away by it as any person of science ever was. He's looking at things he can't understand. He can't explain as a physician, a virgin birth? That stretches the mind of a physician. But he was a man of faith as well. You are a God who performs miracles. And you think about all the miracles that God has done. I mean, just starting in the earliest chapters, the creation of the entire universe. The psalmist says that God simply flinged his fingers out there and created the entire universe. 130 billion galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in each one, and the Bible says God knows every one of them by name. He's already blowing our mind, and we just, we didn't even get past Genesis 1 and 2. This creation of the world and all that it is, this creation of man, that's miraculous stuff. Have you ever tried doing that, scooping together so much topsoil in the backyard, mixing a little water with it, breathing on it, hope it comes to life? That's what God did. In fact, the most common elements that make up the inside of you and me, those 17 most common elements are the same 17 most common elements found in garden topsoil. Adam means dirt. Can I tell you God's in the business of breathing life into dirt, into people just like you and me. Adam, nothing special, we're just people. But he's breathed into us the breath of life like he did Adam. For us, it's the Christian experience of being born again. It was refreshing, it, more than refreshing, it was mind-blowing. He's the God of, of miracles. You think of Noah's flood, the supernatural plagues in the time of Moses that forced Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, the parting of the Red Sea. I can't do that. I can't explain that. The pillar of fire by day, pillar of cloud by night, the feeding of two to two and a half million people in a desert wasteland, feeding and watering that many people for 40 years? How many billions of tons of manna was required to pull that off? He's the God of the miraculous. The parting of the Jordan River by Elisha and Elijah, the raising of the dead, the healing of leprosy, prophecy fulfilled, all of it miraculous and supernatural. That means without natural explanation. 
Don't ever Google Christmas because it's filled with natural hypotheses as to what it was all about. They missed Christmas entirely. Of all of the miracles that did, none compared with the virgin birth of Jesus Christ when God put on human flesh to come and save sinners like you and I. The giving of His own Son is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And it was supernatural front to back, prophesied by Isaiah 750 years before Jesus walked the earth. The birth of Jesus was miraculous. Coming down in human flesh, God adorning Himself in the weakness of human flesh to identify with us, to redeem mankind. It's miraculous beginning to end. Now, under the patronage of a wealthy Roman uh, official by the name of Theophilus, he has retained Luke to do a thorough historical investigation. And it's wise to do that. Physicians then, as today, are steeped in the sciences of biology and chemistry and mathematics and engineering on a biological level. This is the guy you want to investigate something. He's free from bias. He has no agenda. His boss simply said, I want you to really dig into this and find out what's true and what's not. For Luke, faith doesn't even enter the equation. He just wants to look at history. Either it happened or it didn't. And I think that's a safe way to approach the entire Bible. This is a historical document. Historical document. Do you realize that in the nation of Israel today, they use the Old Testament as an elementary school textbook? It's full of history. So can I tell you the virgin birth, their life and, and death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus has less to do with faith and more to do with history. Either it happened or it didn't. And can I tell you the facts are on our side Many, many years ago when I was finishing up my history degree at the University of Colorado, I proposed a, a senior thesis uh, to the ch department chair, and I said, I'd like to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, no, no, you can't do that. You're confusing faith and, and history. You're here to not get a degree in faith, but a degree in history. And I said, faith has nothing to do with it. It either happened or it didn't. And I ought to be able to historically investigate that. Either George Washington and his meager army crossed the Delaware on Christmas Day in 1776. Either it happened or it didn't, but it's not open to faith. It either did or didn't happen. And an intelligent person, once you have proven beyond the faintest shadow of a doubt that it happened, would say, okay, I'm good with that. Well, that's how I wanted to approach the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth. Is the life that he lived out miraculously and supernaturally. And I said, either this did or it didn't happen in the history department at the University of Colorado. Let me do that. So I wrote a 175-page thesis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, hoax or history. And when I showed up after working on this paper for an entire year, I showed up in the department, and every single person, every single doctor uh, in the history department was around this long table, and I was sat at the end, and their purpose was to fillet me like a fish and to, and to take apart my thesis. I had tried my best to anticipate every question they had, and I, I was just sweating bullets in there. Each of them's got a copy of my manuscript, and they're looking it over, <clears throat> I, I just thought, I don't even know what to prepare for, but God, I need, if they ask me a question, I need to have some kind of semi-intelligent answer. And the chairman of the department stood up and said, well, we've all read your manuscript. We have no questions. 
We have nothing to add or take away from. We're all giving you the highest grade that the department can, can award. We encourage you to keep this paper because it would make a good master's thesis if you choose to get your master's degree in history. You are dismissed. Thank you, Jesus. It dawned on me they couldn't argue with the facts. If you look at this book as objective history, faith has nothing to do with it. Now, because of the facts, I put my faith in this Lord, Jesus Christ, but that's in only the intelligent response there is. You think it through, you examine the facts, you look at the history, and then you say, well, it obviously happened. And to me, I can say just as much, even more, than George Washington did cross the Delaware in 1776 on Christmas Day. Jesus Christ was virgin born in Bethlehem's manger. It's a fact of history. And yet the world doesn't let facts stand in their way. They are dismissive and want to dismiss all of Christendom and substitute alternative holidays, even forgetting the, the Lord who came into this world to save them from their sins and substitute a large guy in a red suit with fur trim instead and tell you it's all about spending a trillion dollars. That's what will be spent this Christmas season throughout America, just America. We'll spend a trillion dollars on presents. I always thought presents were kind of silly. I love giving kids presents, but what do you give an adult? Food. You give them food. If it's edible, it's good. Any Christmas present that can be eaten, I think, is, is, is of God and should be given thanks. Looking at Isaiah, who had prophesied the coming of the Messiah, we see the fulfillment of those prophecies right here on the pages of Luke, who's done this thorough historical investigation, and it flabbergasts the physician Luke, he's gathered up all of these details. There's no doubt in my mind that he actually interviewed the Virgin Mary and got a lot of this information firsthand from her because specific conversations are recorded here. He wasn't there. How did he get the information? He must have talked to Elizabeth. He may have talked to her husband, Zechariah, and, and Joseph and Mary and wrote down this historical investigation of his for us. It's the longest of the gospel records. It's the most thorough, and he's one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament. In fact, Luke wrote 28% of the New Testament. Did you know that? That, to me, is amazing. A physician is a lot like a scientist or an engineer, where facts are everything. I remember when I was an aerospace engineer, no project engineer and I ever worked together, and he said, well, what is the measurement on this? I said, well, you know, it's about this, about that. It, that's not how you work when you're sending stuff up into space. You better have some real hard numbers and data. It has to be exact. There's no room for error. Well, Luke is that same kind of mindset. He's a good engineer. He's a good historian. He's a great physician. But the facts to him are everything. Not mythology, not what you think, not opinion, but either it happened or it didn't. And that's, that's what your faith rests upon, is this book being absolutely and perfectly accurate in all of its given details. That's how God works. That's how God works. His emotions, his bias, his feelings has nothing to do with this historical investigation, and he is absolutely blown away as I am when I read the text that, that he wrote for us. He's blown away how God chose to address the human need. It's not a way I would have anticipated. Have you noticed that's how God typically works in your life? 
He works in ways you didn't anticipate. He does things you, you, you say, well, I, I didn't see that coming. Can I tell you nothing has ever happened to you that surprised God? Catches us off guard. Stretches our faith sometimes. We're quick to say, I don't understand. And God, I, I just hear him parting the heavens going, I didn't ask you to understand. I asked you to believe. Just exercise your faith. I said it. Believe it. That settles it. Where's it? What's the big deal? Does he love you? Yeah. Do I have his word on it? Yeah. Did Jesus say he'd provide food, clothing, and shelter if we seek God first in, in the Sermon on the Mount? Do I believe it? I believe that with all of my heart. Do you? Do you believe it? Would you hang your hat on that as historical fact that is indeed life-changing? Now, we've looked at the introduction and the introduction of uh, John the Baptist and his parents to us, his birth foretold, angels show up, and I, I'll bet John the Baptist's parents were going, I, I didn't anticipate that. Angels showing up, I, I didn't see that coming. And I'll bet they had their expectations. You ever have expectations that didn't come true? Wound up disappointing you? Did it disappoint God? No. Did he see it coming? Yes. Is he stretching our faith? Is he asking us to put all of our hope and trust and confidence in him rather than what we can see with our eyes or understand with our minds? This is a supernatural walk that he's called us to, dearest friends. Don't try to make sense of life. Praise him going through life. Praise him for outcomes not seen. When angels show up, you go, that's cool. You know, I'm not obsessed with angels. I'm looking forward to the one who is over all of the angels, according to Hebrews. Come, Lord Jesus. That brings us to our text this morning in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39, where it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted her relative, Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, John the Baptist, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Say filled. You want to put a circle around that one. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting Greek word we're going to touch on here in just a second. But verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Do you believe for something that you can't see? Do you believe for something that has not yet happened? That's what the essence of faith is. Faith says, I don't have to see to believe. I believe, and because of that, I see far beyond what I see with my eyes. God will perform on His Word. It came about in His time. Last time the, the, the Old Testament records the Lord having spoken was 440 years before Jesus Christ and God was quiet for four and a half centuries. I know that sometimes you've prayed and said, Lord, I prayed. I prayed for five minutes straight. I've been, pray I've been praying about this for once a week for, you know, like a week. That's not perseverance. 
Perseverance is believing that God loves you. He's in charge of your life. He's going to bless you, take care of your every need according to Jesus' word. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of even before you ask, Jesus said. Ask, seek, knock. Keep on asking and seeking and knocking. They're all participles in the original wording. Keep on believing. I haven't seen it yet. Bill, just imagine the Jewish people praying for four and a half centuries for Jesus Christ. You think you've prayed for a long time and haven't seen answers to prayer yet? Four and a half centuries? Any of you waited that long? And yet God's word was vindicated. It did come to pass. It was mind-blowing. Verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and she hears uh, uh, that her relative, there is no Greek word for cousin or aunt or uncle, it just means relative in a generic sense. We don't know what their relationship was. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town, perhaps Hebron has been suggested, in the hill country of Judea. That may have made it uh, an arduous journey over the hill country of 80 miles. Imagine riding that on a burrow. Well, that's what she did. Arduous journey. Verse 40, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her, her relative. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. We've got to stop there for just a second. The word baby is brephos. Brephos. This baby is inside the womb. It's described in the original language as a brephos. Why is that important? Because after he's born, he's described, John the Baptist is, and Jesus later on as a Brephos. I don't know what your personal position on abortion is, but according to God's Word, it's a baby in the womb or out of the womb. Whether the baby's three months old, six months, or nine months old, that's what Scripture says. Now, I know the culture around us today sees things differently. I don't care how the Canaanites see it. I care how the people of God see it. Do you believe his word? This is a baby. And notice that the baby, it's a baby in the womb, and he responds to the human voice. I know that most ladies that have had babies before know that. You talk to your belly. It's not because your belly will respond, but the baby inside will. And a lot of times, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen people, you know, rubbing their belly and, and talking and singing to their babies. Well, that, that brings such comfort and joy to the infant once it's born because it's used to that voice. It's used to that voice. That voice within. Huh. How does God speak to you and I? There's that inner voice, that conviction of His Holy Spirit, that Word that comes to life where he's, there's that comfort, that wisdom, that knowledge that He imparts to us, that peace that passes all understanding. God works on the inward parts. You know, David said in the Psalms, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knew me and set me apart even in my mother's womb. It's a human life there. It's not a mass of tissue. It's not an inconvenience. It's not even your body. It's a body that has been miraculously developed in the uterus. It is an amazing piece of science. It is miraculous and supernatural to anybody who has looked at it. But inside, and I'd like you to, if you have circled that word baby there in verse 41, you can cross-reference it to Luke 2, verse 12 and verse 16 that referred to baby Jesus in the manger, uses that same term, brephos. So inside or outside of the womb, it's still a baby. It's 
life given by God. I believe in the sanctity of life because God does. Who created life? God. God thought so highly about human life. I mean, he created Adam, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But he thought so highly of, if you take the life of another human being, your life is forfeit. Executed. You don't sit on death row for the next 25 years at public expense with three hots of cotton, a volleyball court, and cable TV. A murderer was to be put to death. A rapist was to be put to death. A, a kidnapper was to be put to death. There were certain things that were punishable according to God's word because he believed in the sanctity of life. There is an element of holiness there. This is life that has been given by God. It is a gift from him, but oh, this baby. <laughs> Don't you love babies? Babies can reduce full-grown men to little... You know, you can turn a full-grown, hardcore man into just the softest piece of limp noodle, you know. Kids just, just do that. I, I just love babies. They're so innocent, aren't they? So precious in God's eyes, so, so helpless. And to think that the Son of God came into this earth via that venue? There's a party that says he should have been born in a palace. He should have been born a king. Should have been huge, great pomp and circumstance all around the world. Born in Bethlehem's manger. Unbelievable. Talk to your baby, ladies. Talk to your baby. In the womb, your voice will be such a comfort to the child that is born because your baby knows your voice. I love the fact that verse 41 points out that not only did the baby respond supernaturally, the baby leapt in her womb, and it says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's worded in such a way in the original Greek language that this was an act of God, that was sovereign and supernatural. She had little to do with it. I think that God is responding to her faith, to be sure. Throughout all of chapter 1, she is a woman of tremendous faith. Her husband, a little bit of a doubter. So the angel Gabriel said, oh, you didn't believe what I had to say? How about this? You don't get to talk for the next nine months. And I imagine, you know, Elizabeth's going, praise God. <laughs> Priests like pastors simply talk too much. Sometimes you just go, mm, that would be a gift from God. Don't talk, honey. And he was, so he was a bit of a doubter, but she is a woman of faith. And I believe because of that, God has blessed her here and now filled her with his Holy Spirit. The word filled doesn't mean a bottle that's half full of water. That's not the Greek word for filled that's used here. It means filled to the point of overflow. It means filled beyond capacity. It means filled in such a supernatural way that out of that overflow, everything she says proceeds from that. She's a woman of faith not because she's trying to convince people she's spiritual. She's a woman of faith because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't ever try to act spiritual. Just let the Holy Spirit fill you. Well, I don't know how to, how to do that, Pastor Jim. I'm not Elizabeth. I'm not Mary. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. The door will be open to you. He said, out of, out of your belly would flow torrents of living water. Overflow, he said in John's gospel. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was an episodic sort of thing. It happened once in a while to various people. Oh, a psalmist here, a Samuel there, a Saul with, and when he first became king. It happened to the prophets. But it seemed to come and go with the whim of God. But now this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, because of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, He's available to all of us. You've got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You got him. Does he have you? And to what extent? Do you want to be filled or, you know, is, is, is half full okay with you? Half full is okay with a lot of Christians today. I'm saved. I'm okay. You read your Bible? Nah. You pray? Not much. You worship? Nah, I'm not really a worshiper. Okay. So how is that lukewarm working for you? When the trials hit, does it give you the substance that you need to deal with the uncertainties of life? I want to be filled, and I don't want to be filled just a little bit. I want to be filled to overflow because I see what God is about to do through Elizabeth and what God is about to do through Mary, and it is supernatural. And it's not because they worked it up or they went to a conference or read the right book on the bestseller list. It's because there was a sovereign and supernatural work of God because they were yielded. They gave it all to God. Hey, whatever you say, virgin birth, okay, piece of cake for you. Didn't Gabriel say, with God, all things are possible? He didn't say, except for your situation. All things are possible. But we don't believe that sometimes. So we take it into our own hands, and we worry, and we fret, and we connive, and we try to make this happen or that happen. And God, I just, he's just saying, peace, be still. I love that Old Testament passage where in Exodus, he brought the nation of Israel, just delivered them out of Egypt, brought them to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's breathing down their neck, and the ocean is in front of them. And they're going, yeah, what? What now? What, you, you bring us all the way out here, Moses, because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? Dude. And Moses said something born of faith, but made no sense to the people. Only be still and behold the deliverance of God. He had no idea what God was going to do. He didn't say, oh, hey, dude, he's going to part the Red Sea. You're going to walk through. He didn't know what God was going to do, but he believed that God was going to do something. That's faith. Faith says, I, I can't see it. It hasn't happened yet, and I don't know what God's going to do, but I've asked him to move sovereignly and supernaturally, and I believe with all of my heart he is going to do that. He is going to glorify his name. He's going to bless us. He will give us strength and peace and power until his perfect will is accomplished. That was a statement of faith when Moses said that, and I'm sure he was sweating bullets, thinking to himself, I have no idea what God's going to do. I got no idea. But these people need some encouragement. Does that sound like you? You need some encouragement sometimes. Life can be discouraging, can't it? Life seldom turns out the way we plan. Never works out in my time frame. But I find that God is often, often calling me, just wait upon the Lord. I say, wait. How many times that word wait, not W-E-I-G-H-T, but W-A-I-T. How many times that word mentioned in the Bible A bazillion, at least, at least a bazillion times. Because it's an important concept. It puts all of our cares and worry into God's hands. 
It says, I don't know how you're going to work. I don't know when you're going to work, but I believe with all of my heart you're going to work. That's the essence of faith. And the only way that faith grows is to be stretched, to be stretched. And I know sometimes in our circumstances, you, you feel like a rubber band in the hands of God. You know, and you, oh, no, I don't know. This is so hard. Being stretched, I don't know if I can endure this. And God says, well, you watch this. And you don't die. You don't die. And you go, I would have never thought I could have done that, gotten through this. I I never thought that was possible. But look what God has done. That's the history that we have before us. Look what God has done. Does he love you less than Mary and Elizabeth? Of course not. Does he desire to use you as well as he desired? Of course. Does he have a plan for you like he did them that they knew nothing about? Uh Uh-huh. They believed. So this is really a legacy of faith. And because of their faith, they gave thanksgiving even before the kids were born. We trust God. We trust God. Wow, things didn't turn out the way I planned. They never do. If everything turns out the way you planned, would you tell me how to get that? Because that never happens in my life. I'm called upon to go with the flow. Trust God. He's the author and giver of life. Why would I doubt him now? He saved me. He washed away all of my sins. I, I don't have to figure out everything anymore. I think the wise person will say, I don't know what God's going to do, but I trust God. That's what I see on these pages. It, is, it becomes immensely practical when I look at it that way, as Luke did in the, his, 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 his historical investigation. His, and I look at Elizabeth and I want to be filled. Passive voice in the Greek, which means God did it to her just because she was yielded. God did it. And he kept pouring it into her. At that very moment, Elizabeth was filled to overflow with God's Holy Spirit. No one saw that coming. She's not a prophet. She's not even a priestess. She's not somebody famous out of the Old Testament that you would expect God would baptize. She's just an ordinary person like you or I. If you hunger for anything else besides being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, this Christmas season you will be disappointed. Ask first. If God is priority, then ask first this Christmas season that he would fill you with his Holy Spirit. What will happen when that takes place? You will be filled with spiritual fruit. And you go, I got fruit like apples or citrus. What are you talking? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is listed for us in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which you do not have. But need desperately. Need desperately. Otherwise, you'll be going after every road rage incident and running them down. And when they pull over, you will wonder, what do I do now? Because the guy's seven and a half feet tall. I bit off more than I can chew. What do I need? God? What does he give? Self-control, love and joy, and all the rest of that. I want to be filled to overflow. I'm, I'm tired of leaning on my own resources and coming up short. My patience is at an end. And I hear the voice of God saying, your patience, you have no patience. You have, that's why you need me so desperately. You have no patience. You have no love. You know, I have no joy. You have nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? 
nothing. Yet we think we can. We think we can. Let go and let God. It sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? But there's nothing more theologically complex than that. I want to be filled to the limit, to the maximum, to, to the point of overflow. Because it's out of the overflow that you have something to minister to somebody else. Otherwise, you'll spend the rest of your life self-absorbed. It's all about you. It's all about your, your issues and what you're facing and what you got going on. And there is nothing for anybody else. Why? Your cup's half full. You say, well, all I got is just enough for me. I got nothing for you. I think there's too many people today trying to dip water from an empty well. If the well isn't filled in here, you got nothing to give other people. You're barely getting by yourself. You got nothing to give anybody else. They need hope. They need power. They need encouragement. But all you're doing is licking your own wounds. You can't see past the, the nose on the end of your face because it's all, you know, God knows it's all about you. Mary and Elizabeth show me there's more to life than that. I don't want to be self-absorbed. Can I tell you, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you responded to a call to come and die. That's why Jesus was born. He came to die. He, this baby grew up in the shadow of the cross. He knew the prophecies. He knew what awaited him. Didn't mind paying the price at all. But didn't Jesus tell his disciples, now you have to pick up your cross daily and come and follow me. What's that? It's a call to come and die. Die to the world. Die to self. Die to everything that Satan dangles in front of you like a carrot in front of a donkey. I die to that stuff. It's interesting, the pilgrims that came to these shores in the 1600s to the Plymouth Colony, they were Puritans escaping persecution under the King of England. And they came to these shores, and they came up with the Mayflower Compact that says the reason we came here is to spread the Christian faith. Read the Mayflower Compact sometime. You can only find a copy online. It's been taken out of all public schools in America. Nobody wants you to know this nation has a Christian background. There are forces at work to kill Christianity in the cradle like Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus in Bethlehem. There are those same anti-Christ demonic forces out there today. But you read the Mayflower Compact, they were people of faith. They were a people of vision. They were people that trusted God for the miraculous, for the supernatural, and came to these shores with that kind of faith. Their circumstances were difficult. Half of them died that first winter. But their faith was undimmed, unshaken. They glorified God, and God opened up doors for them they never anticipated. They thought they'd be slaughtered by the Indians. Instead, the Indians taught them how to plant corn and raise crops. And they prospered because of that relationship. And the pilgrims got to tell the Indians about Jesus Christ. For the pilgrims, it wasn't about them. It was a call to come and die. They had died to themselves. And when they were asked on the ship... How come you guys aren't afraid of the storms that we're going through on this? They said, no one is afraid of death who has died every day. And they were sharing their faith with the hundred or so unbelievers on board. We, have come, we, we die every day. We have no fear of death. I, 
want that kind of faith. I want that kind of faith, not because I've claimed it historically, but because I've been filled with His Holy Spirit, and I believe it with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. If God can birth a baby in a virgin womb, what do I face that is more difficult than that? He's a supernatural God asking you to believe in Him for the supernatural, not the natural. Don't think in terms of the natural. He knows whatsoever things you have need of, even before you ask, Jesus said. But seek first. Here's your priority. Here's your test in life. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That means maturing as a Christian. And all of these other things will be added to you. But we want to chase after all of the other things and forget the only priority God's called us to is intimacy with Him. Christmas is a call to intimacy. The resurrection is a call to come and die. But I die daily. Not my will, but thine be done, Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why is this so difficult for us to say that? Are we afraid we're going to miss out on something or settle for second best? Or if we give it all to God, then what do we have to worry about? God's got this. Holy Spirit has come upon all believers. It's available to us as much as it was to them in this time period. Verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed to Mary, blessed are you among women. Why? Because you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Wow. Not just you're having a baby. Okay, that's pretty cool all by itself. But the baby you're going to have is going to be the Son of God. Angels have announced his birth. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, what she says there in verse 42 is, is, is pretty loaded. The baby that she will bear will be the Lord. The Lord, the God of the Old Testament, taking upon human flesh. That's exactly what happened. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She, Elizabeth realized, I need a Lord as much as you do. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as soon as the sound of your greeting, in verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. It's, it's, it's a, an amazing statement of faith. She's like the Old Testament uh, Jeremiah, who said, you know, I've got the Word of God just burning in me, and i got to share this with you. Have you ever felt that burden of the Lord where God so puts something on your heart? i got to speak. I sometimes feel like Jeremiah where people say, isn't it a drudgery to have to study all the time and, and prepare sermons all the time? Are you kidding me? For this, I was born. I did this before I ever got paid for it. I love Jesus. I love His Word. I love history. I love everything about this. It is to me amazing. It, is, it has changed me. I'm a different person than I was when I first got saved. And that was more than a half a century ago. I feel like a kid in a candy store. I feel like I've just touched the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. I, I, and I want more. And I think that's what God wants for each of us. Do you want more? Oh, with all of my heart I do, Lord. 
The Word of God burned within Jeremiah like a, a fire, and staying silent was not possible for him any more than Elizabeth, any more than, than Mary. You remember Jeremiah said in chapter 20, verse 9, but if I say, I will not mention God's Word or speak any more in His name, I mean, he was under persecution all the time. He said, His Word burned in my heart like a fire, like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm wearying of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He had to speak. He had to say something. I, that same thing drives me. It's a passion. If I could do anything else in the world, I would do it. But this is what I was born for. I must do this. It's not what I do. It's who I am. You are a child of God, no less called and anointed than myself. You may not be called to the role of pastor, but can I tell you this? You are just as uniquely called, gifted, and equipped as Mary, as Elizabeth, their husbands, or myself ever was. God has a unique plan for you. It all depends on how badly you want Him to reveal it to you. Are you in alignment with His will? Are you submitted? Are you surrendered? Are you asking and seeking or knocking? Or do you just wake up and go, yeah, speak if you want to. Don't if you don't. Jesus said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. But Christianity today sometimes says, ah. The prophets of the Old Testament were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter reminds us, above all, you must understand that no prophecy came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's what you're about to see in what is commonly referred to as Mary's song there, starting in verse 46. I'm going to burst some bubbles for you, but let's cover some territory before we get there. Be, follow me carefully on this. Before you can be carried along by the Holy Spirit, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I get that, Pastor Jim? Ask, seek, knock, and do it with all of your heart. Not as an afterthought, not when it's convenient, but with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. That's what God requires of people that have died to themselves been made alive by Him. That's what God requires of us. That's what He desires for us because with that comes love and joy and peace and patience. All of the things that we so desperately need this holiday season. You have to be filled in Ephesians 5. Paul would share that with the church at Ephesus. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery and excess, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit, continuously continue to be. But it's worded in a unique way in the original language. It's in the passive voice, which means God wants to fall fresh upon you, but it's also in the middle. There's, a, there's an inflection on that says you're a co-participant in the action. You have to seek. Your job's to do the seeking. His job's to do the filling. But don't expect filling if you're not asking and seeking. And you too can have a wretched life. A wretched marriage. Kids that'll grow up to hate your guts because you were a hypocrite in their eyes. Paul says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to God. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be being filled means that you have to continuously continue in this spiritual investment that will result in your filling. You do the asking, seeking, knocking, 
He will do the filling. And the, His perfect will for your life will be fulfilled. I don't know what that is. That's something you have to find out. I found my gift and calling. I love it with all of my heart. Have you found yours? God wants you deliriously happy in Him. He wants you fulfilled. He wants to give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37 says. But there are some prerequisites. Read that psalm sometimes. It's all about seeking Him. She says in verse 34, who am I? Why am I so favored? In 43, excuse me, a bit of dyslexia crept in there. Need that second cup of coffee, but I gave it to my kid brother this morning instead. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord... Now, the original language has the definite article attached to Lord. The one, the only Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and there is no other. Let's Muhammad out of the picture. Let's Buddha, Confucius, all other religious figures down through all time. None of them are the, the Son of God, the Lord. Always the definite article always points out a singular and unique identity. In other words, Jesus was Lord before his birth. He is Lord today. When he comes back, he will still be Lord, and he will be Lord forever. But that's what her declaration involves. He is the Lord. The incarnation did not give birth to God. He was, Jesus was eternally preexistent with God in the beginning. And Colossians 1 tells us that all things were made by Jesus. He was the active agent of God's creation. He was, he is, and forever will be the one and only Lord. And the baby leapt in her womb, as verse 44 pointed out, blessed is the one who has believed. Boy, you just want to highlight that. Blessed is the one who has believed what the Lord has said. He loves you. He's promised he's going to save you. He's taken you to heaven with him. He's got life under control. It took you by surprise, but it didn't him. Do you believe this? Can you rest? in that. Blessed is she who has believed. The word believe and the word faith are the same exact word in the original language. One's a verb, one's a noun. There is no other difference. So exercise the faith you have. Believe the promises of God. That's what these women did. They knew their Old Testament. Why? Because they had been in it. They read the Word of God. In fact, in Mary's song, the follows, starting in verse 46, uh, there are over a dozen references to Old Testament Scripture. She knew her Bible. She knew her Old Testament. You realize that in the time of Paul, a typical Pharisee could quote the first five books of the Old Testament from memory? How well do you know your Bible? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. It's not, I could hear a pin drop on the carpet, but I didn't hear a reasonable response there. Why don't we know the Word of God better than we do? We've given ourselves over to busyness instead. We don't have room for God. We don't have time to sit down and just sit and soak. The Word of God's kind of like a hot tub. You've got to sit and soak in it for a while before it does you some good. Reading the Word, don't read it quickly. Read it as slowly as you can and look for personal application. What God, what's God saying to me? If God used them, does God want to use me? If God spoke to them, would, might God want to speak to me? The answer is yes. But if you're not asking and seeking and knocking, don't expect anything to happen. 
if you don't want God to mess up your life, you don't want to read, you don't want to pray, he's a gentleman. He won't go where he's uninvited. You want him to be Lord of your marriage? You have to ask. You want him to be Lord of your work, your future, your health, your wealth? Let him be Lord of all. At least a dozen, a dozen allusions to the Old Testament here. But faith plays a part in us unlocking the promises of God. In verse 45, it tells me that our faith has, has a very active part in receiving the promises of God. Taking God's promises should never be passive. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Can I tell you this? Any Christian that says to a pastor, yeah, I know, there's a part of that pastor who just wants to stand up out of his seat and smack your face. It's not that you don't know. The pastor brings it to your attention because you're not doing. It doesn't matter what you know. The Pharisees knew the promises of God. They didn't mind stringing up Jesus on a cross. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you do with what you know. That's where faith comes, becomes a very active part of your life. You've got to do something with this. Can I tell you, Sunday morning is when you get spoon-fed but where you benefit from it is when you walk out of the building and start actually applying it to your situation, your marriage, your health, your finances, a thousand other issues of life. That's where the rubber band gets stretched. You have to be open to that. Not all rubber band stretching is delightful. Is it necessary? Absolutely. She said in verse 45, Mary, you believe what the Lord has promised. You believe it. That's faith. And God will respond to that. Faith believes the promises of God, waits upon Him actively until His perfect will and timing are accomplished, and does it without complaint. Well, waiting on the Lord, man. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Would you hurry it up? Don't wait and complain. Just wait. Wait and believe. Wait and trust. God knows what we have need of even before we ask. Mary's song in verse 46 is often called the Magnificat because in the Latin Bible, that's the opening word, Magnificat, which means glorify. She glor she's, glor she's giving God glory. That's all it means. Here's where I want to burst your bubble. It says there at the top of that section in your Bible, it says Mary's song. It's not a song. Verse 46, and Mary said, the Greek word is lego. It means to say something, not to sing something. Idao is the word for sing. That's not the word that's used here. This is not a song. It's a declaration of faith. Oh, it makes a nice song. I'm sure lots of people have put it uh, to glorious music over the years, but it's not Mary's song. It's her declaration of faith, just like Hannah's was in the Old Testament when she'd gone into the temple of the Lord and the priest thought she was drunk because she's, she's just babbling out her prayers to the Lord. And she said, well, I'm not drunk as you think. You know, I'm just agonizing before the Lord. I, I'm barren. I'd really love to have a baby. And the priest said to her, well, may, may it be according to your faith. And, God uh, give you the desires of your heart. She was just waiting on the Lord. But she did it without complaint. Waiting on the Lord while complaining nets you nothing. Wait on the Lord without complaint means I trust Him. I believe Him. Well, then what's to complain about? He's got this. Other translations have Mary saying 
verse 46, and that is accurate to the original language. What she says is, my soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. The word is, in Greek is mega. I'm giving mega thanks to God for His promises and what He's going to do. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that's come upon her. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, what? Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Galatians 5, you know it well. The declaration has so many allusions to Old Testament Scripture because she's been in verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. This is a humble lady. She's not demanding anything. She's not telling God how special she is and what she deserves. Mary said, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. That's the testimony of every Christian. Did you notice in verse 47, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, if any of you came out of a Catholic background, you were taught as a kid the doctrine of what's called immaculate conception, which holds that from the moment of her conception, Mary was by God's grace kept free from the taint of original sin. But that's not what Mary says. She says, I need a Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. And that's what she's declaring here. I rejoice in God, my Savior. This child will save me as much as he will save anyone else. She was not without sin. She was blessed because she carried God's holy seed. Only sinners need a Savior. In fact, one commentator put it this way, Mary was a member of a sinning race of people. But the honor conferred upon her was of the highest and our thoughts of her, our language concerning her, should not lack the dignity and respect manifested in the words of Gabriel. You are highly favored. Hers was the crown and glory of all motherhood. We should never think or speak of her irreverently. That's different than deifying her. Hold her in respect. Absolutely. Is she a woman of faith? Absolutely. Is she, is she an amazing example to all of us? Absolutely. She goes on in this declaration of hers in verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, the Lord God Almighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Isn't that your testimony as well? Man, I look back over my life and go, what man, fantastic things God has done for me. That's my testimony. She's celebrating God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's power. It shows the futility of trusting in yourself. God has done great things on my behalf for me. Verse 49, you are not loved less than Mary. God wants to bless you. You got to do this God's way. Plain and simple. We don't trust in self. We don't trust in political power. We don't trust in riches. Mary's trust was in God, and her faith was richly rewarded. He has done great things for me. It's only the beginning. You think of it, the best part of your Christianity is yet future. The best is yet to come. That's exciting to me. One commentator, a guy by the name of Trapp, said, No small things can fall from so great a hand. God gives like himself. He is the first giver. 
Spurgeon put it this way in the 19th century in England. He said, brothers, there are some of you who cannot even sing over a mercy when it is born, but here is a woman who sings over an unborn mercy. That's faith. Faith says, I don't see it yet. I haven't laid hands on it yet, but I believe it with all of my heart. Why? Because God is faithful. He brought me this far. It wasn't to just drop me off the edge of the earth. Do you believe God for great things? Oh, I believe in for little things. Do you believe in for great things? Do you have the faith to believe God for great things? Lord, I remember that guy who, who, when Jesus and his disciples were coming down from, from the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a guy down below, that, and the other disciples couldn't cast a demon out of him. The other disciples were, were powerless in that situation. And... and uh, Jesus asked him, well, how long has your son been like this? He's been like that from birth. And the demon throws him in the fire or tries to drown him. I brought him to your disciples, but they could do nothing. And then he said to Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus stopped him right there and said, beg your pardon? You know who you're talking to? What do you mean, if I can do anything? He said, all things are possible to those who believe. Then the guy had the most humble declaration I've ever heard. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And Jesus healed his child. God, I think, wants to do great things on your behalf and mine. It requires humility. It requires asking and seeking and knocking. It requires faith. And God, I promise you, in Jesus' name, will respond. He loves you so much. Don't fight him on this. Let go. Let God. She continues, verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him. This is not like I'm afraid of spiders. All of us are. Men just squeal less than women when we see them. Bigger the spider. You understand you look like a skyscraper in comparison to the spider. Who's really afraid? I'm thinking the spiders. That's why he's trying to run. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about, although the Greek word is phobos. It's where we get the word phobia. This, in, in this usage, it means to reverence, to hold high and holy uh, the things of God. It, it means to live in harmony with Him and His will and His word. Uh, fear in, in the sense of awe, not dread, but honor and deep reverence and respect. It says in the Proverbs, you've probably read it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In society today, there is no fear of the Lord. In few churches, is it taught anymore? That sense of awe and honor and respect and deepest reverence for a holy God who has done unbelievable things. I, I pray that the church would rekindle that spirit of who God is. Who God is. I mean, every time I look in the mirror, I, th I think, who, who am I that God should extend such grace and love and mercy upon me, a sinner? Humility is when you see yourself for who you really are. And you see God for who He really is. That's humility. So any of you that struggle with, with pride this morning, that's where you want to take it. The throne room of grace and see him who has been feeding people spiritually since the dawn of time. Verse 51, he's performed mighty deeds with his army. He's scattered those who are proud. Ugh. Doesn't Scripture say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? 
You want to be humble. Be humble. Don't tell people what you think you know. Oh, you know where I've been, or I've been to this school, or I'm so proud of that, or this accomplishment. You know, be humble. Be humble. Nobody wants to hear you say how great you are. That is diametrically opposed to the Spirit of Christ. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble, those that are in dependence upon him. He has filled the hungry with good things. Filled the hungry, both physically and spiritually, I find. Often throughout Scripture, in Matthew 5, 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? In John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. In other words, he'll meet every need. He'll meet every need. Like Tracy asked this morning, right before the, the, the start of the teaching, did you come hungry for God's Word? And about six people said, mm, yeah. Without hunger, you'll never know that you have a need to be filled, and you'll miss God completely. There has to be that hunger for the things of the living God. He'll speak to you in His Word, but you have to open the Word. He'll fill you with His Holy Spirit, but you have to ask. You have to be open, because if you don't, nothing happens. Christians today expect a supernatural encounter with God without any effort on their behalf at all. No, I don't want to read. I don't want to pray. I don't want to worship. I don't want to go to church. And I want God to show up, part the clouds, and tell me how much He loves me. He does love you. That, that is a fact. But He has so much more for you than a lukewarm Laodicean. Church existence. He has, verse 53, filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty because they never perceive their need. The, I don't need to be filled. I, I got God. I, I, I got saved when I was a kid. I got baptized. I got. The, mm. Are you filled here, now, today? He has helped his servant, verse 54, Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed there with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. She stayed until uh, John the Baptist was born. And then, as the script says, that she returned to her home, indicating that she was still a virgin and yet to be married to Joseph, and she returned to Nazareth, her, her hometown. Okay, I want you to close your Bible for just a second. Give me your undivided attention. Close your Bible, shut down your application, turn off your, your cell phone, and just follow me for just a second, and let me, let me wrap this up for you. What's this all about, Pastor Jimmy, you're asking? What am I supposed to do with this? This portion of Luke chapter 1 is about two things, faith and thanksgiving. Faith and thanksgiving. God expects both from you today. Your choice is to actually whether you will do that or not, but the challenge has been laid before you. It's all about faith and thanksgiving, believing in the supernatural, even though events may not unfold as quickly as we would like. I, in my quiet time this morning, coincidentally, if you believe in coincidences, I don't, I was in James chapter 1 that tells us that perseverance in trials and tests is vital and God-ordained to bring us to maturity in the faith. Read James chapter 1 sometime this afternoon. Count it all joy. Brethren, when you face trials of all kinds, 
I have never met a Christian that said, yay. <laughs> Bring them on, Lord. And yet, according to God, James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard his older brother well on many occasions. And he said, you need to understand something. You go through the things you do because God's testing your faith. He's stretching the rubber band. All that's required of you is a little flexibility, a little yieldedness, a little seeking and asking and knocking. Do not, Hebrews says, do not harden your hearts against the Lord. You don't want to do that. So please, you can do me a favor now that I have your undivided attention. Pastors always look around the room for the people that are doing this. Because they don't want to change. I'm forced to listen to you because I'm a drug child. Not because I do drugs. My, my wife, my husband, drugged me to church this morning. <laughs> I don't want to be there. So get it over with quick, Pastor Jim. There needs to be an openness in your heart this morning. I don't know where you're at with Jesus, but he knows where you're at. And I suspect there's room for improvement in all of us. Just say amen. amen. Be open to that. Don't fight God. He wants to do miraculous, supernatural things in your life. And the tests and trials that we go through, they're God-ordained. It's necessary if we're to grow in, in our faith. Faith believes the promises of God. That's what I see in these two women. Faith that says, I know the promises of God. I've been in His Word. I believe His promises. Angels showed up because I have faith in the promises of God. I haven't seen the outcome yet. Kids haven't been born yet, but I believe God. I believe God. I believe His promises. And that's the legacy of Elizabeth and Mary, the older woman and the younger woman. God was at work supernaturally from long before Jesus' birth. From Genesis chapter 1, God has been doing miracles. He could, they continue through Revelation 22. He, he was working in and on and through Elizabeth and then Mary and this physician named Luke. By trade, he, he stands in awe of all that God had done, the miraculous, the, the supernatural, how God was accomplishing his purposes because he could look back on it and say God was faithful. Someday, everything that you face right now, you'll be able to look back on and say, that which Satan meant for my ruin, God meant for my good, and he brought me through it. God is faithful. He is able, and he loves me, and he's got this. Do you believe that today? That, that really is the test. You know, Mary and Elizabeth both kind of open our eyes to the work and person of the Holy Spirit, don't they? And I look at them, and I, I think, man, I want to be filled. The Old Testament in Malachi had closed out 440 years before this time period with the promise that God was going to come, and he would send the forerunner, John the Baptist, before Jesus Christ came. It was promised, and they hadn't heard from God for 440 years. You want to hear from God more often than that. Are you doing the seeking and the knocking? You don't want to wait 400 years before you hear from God. But angels are showing up in this text. If you are open, if you are seeking, God will fill you with His Holy Spirit today. He'll renew your joy, your hope your love, your patience, your perseverance. That's what God wants to do for you this morning. 
His part is the filling. Your part is the seeking. If we had no part in the process, Ephesians 5 couldn't command that we seek God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, seek, ask, knock. Ask, it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who finds, he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what Gabriel said. I'm not asking you to take my word for that this morning. I'm not the guy who said it. This is Gabriel, the guy who stands in the presence of God. His very name means mighty warrior of God. This is an angel. This may be well be an archangel. And he says nothing is impossible with God. So what's the most impossible thing that you're facing today? Life. <laughs> yeah, got you there. But do you have the faith to believe that nothing is impossible with God? Is today perhaps your day to get out of the boat and trust Jesus to enable you to walk on the water? Would you stand with me and close in prayer as the praise band comes up? Our faith and trust and hope and confidence in God is indeed a firm foundation. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. And some of us are just empty vessels, Lord. Would you fill us afresh with all of the spiritual fruit and all of the spiritual gifts that we need to fulfill your calling upon our lives? We believe with all of our hearts that we need you. And only you can do the things that we face that are indeed impossible. Would you meet us here? We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. Would you fill us afresh? Holy Spirit of the living God, fill us to overflow this morning. We are your servants as Mary and Elizabeth were. We're nobody special, but we believe you. We believe your promises. We know your word to be absolutely and utterly and completely true. And by it, Lord, we place all of our faith and trust and hope and confidence. Fill us afresh, Lord. You are our faith in you. It's a firm, firm foundation. Meet us here to that end, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Let's close out in this declaration.